Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the TLS podcast. My name's Toby Lustig, I'm an editor at the TLS, and today I'll be joined by the novelist, comedian and Jew, David Baddiel. Now, I wouldn't normally introduce a guest like this, fixating on their ethnicity, and even as a Jew myself, I'd hesitate to use the proper noun as bluntly as I just did. There's something awkward in this three-letter word with its long and dismal shadow of persecution that tends to make people plump for the softer, more evasive... Jewish person or find some other way around it. Badil, however, embraces this discomfort with his own Twitter bio, which simply reads Jew. And he joins me now to discuss this and his wider take on contemporary anti-Semitism, as laid out in his eloquent, polemical, and I would argue necessary new book, Jews Don't Count, which is published by our very own imprint, TLS Books, and is also extracted in this week's paper. So hello, David. Hello, Toby. How are you? Um, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Um, Firstly, what is it about the very word Jew that seems to make people squirm so much? Yeah, well, we could probably talk, spend the whole podcast talking about that. <laughs> uh, one of the things I've noticed since the book's been knocking about on social media in terms of like me putting out uh, pictures of the cover and talking about it is a few people have said, oh, I don't know whether or not I, you know, I'm interested, but I don't know if I'd be happy reading that in public. It's kind of a provocative title, yes, but I think that's primarily about what you've just talked about which is my sort of unvarnished use of the word Jew rather than Jewish person although it's interesting how naff it would sound to say Jewish people don't count as a title but Jews don't count have much more power and part of that power is to do with the negativity and the negative energy that I think surrounds the word. In the book, I talk about this and I quote actually, um, I take the liberty of quoting a bit from my 2004 is it novel the secret purposes uh which is about the internment of jewish german refugees on the isle of man uh in which a translator herself not jewish is trying to translate a nazi woman's use of the phrase you didn't and uh you didn't i think literally means jewesses but she can't get the sort of venom that the nazi said the word into the word jewesses and to cut a long story short, in, in that bit, she realises that the way to do it is to co- is to use the phrase Jew women rather than Jewish women or Jewesses. And 
I like that because I think it demonstrates how weirdly negative this word still is if you don't grammatically soften it with the suffix ish. Which in itself is quite funny, the, the idea, the, you know, that ish itself is a kind of a... Yeah, Jewish you know, thing, yeah. yeah. And I've heard times people saying I'm Jew-ish, meaning that I'm sort of Jewish, but, you know, I wouldn't describe myself as an out-and-out Jew. Yeah, exactly. And as I was writing that bit, I think it came to me that it's remarkable how the difference between saying a Jewish banker, uh, a Jewish boy, between Jew banker, Jew boy, that's all you need to make those things Nazi, really, uh, and racist. And no other, there is no other, I can't think of another word uh, that would operate in that way. And I think what that demonstrates is the enormous uh, sort of the singularity, the evil singularity of the word Jew. And I'm using singularity in the kind of physics sense there, that it's packed with the history of its own, uh, the racism of years and years and years and years of Christian scapegoating of Jews as evil. That is why people have to say Jewish. And there isn't really a, another word that I can think of like that. So, yeah, when I when I decided to put my bio on Twitter as being just Jew, I'm aware of that. The weird thing is, it's also quite a funny word. I think for Jews, it's quite funny. Well, it's, I think it, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It's funny. And one of the reasons it's funny is because it's so freighted and because it confuses people. I mean, you know, you know Jew, Jews can embrace it. Um, Non-Jews sort of squirm around and are not quite sure what to do about it. And it's exactly that discomfort that you're, you know, you're exploiting with that. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, that's more widely what you're, you know, to a certain extent, that, that, that discomfort and that unsureness, that unsureness about where to place Jews is partly what your book's about. I mean, it's probably worth just talking a little bit more about precisely what it's aimed at, because there are, I mean, there are loads of books about anti-Semitism. Um, we all, you know, uh, we've all read different takes on the long and bitter history and, you know, and more recent examples. But yours is a little different. It's aimed specifically at a particular group. And I just wondered if you could talk a bit about what kind of anti-Semitism you're getting at here. Uh, OK, well, yeah, I mean, the book in a very rather deliberate way, but to try and avoid confusion, I suppose, uh, or misrepresentation, uh, is a critique, I guess, of progressives or progressive discourse around, and specifically progressive discourse around identity politics and around ethnicity. Because, or actually, no, not just ethnicity, ethnicity primarily, but also around minorities. So minorities would also include, I would say, gender minorities and disabled people and all that kind of stuff. So just the sort of like, the way in which progressive uh, thinking, by progressive I mean more than just the left, I mean a kind of wide swathe of people who would consider themselves, I guess, right thinking and liberal thinking, uh, have become much more concerned in over the last 20 years with those kind of issues than they have about class, basically. That if those people might have defined themselves at one time as being primarily concerned about class and fighting some kind of class struggle, they now are fighting, I would say, more of an identity struggle, uh, which is that all identities that are not white, Christian, mainstream, you know, cisgendered, straight men uh, need to be, the conversation needs to be recentered away from that norm and taking into account the concerns and the identity of these other minorities. And it's those people I'm interested in because it's those people for whom I think Jews still seem ambiguous within that concern. 
that Jews are still a, are the minority that they still don't quite know what to do with, where to place. And, and part of the way, part of the way this seems to manifest itself is is, is not so much in in their kind of deliberate anti-Semitism towards Jews, but their sort of failure to spot and acknowledge it where it, it happens in other instances, and, and almost. I mean, I found this myself, a kind of uh, a sort of an impulse to tell Jewish people what is and isn't anti-Semitic and what they can and cannot take offence to, that they don't tend to do with other minorities and marginalised communities. Would you say that's right? Yeah, I mean, the book begins with a series of examples of exactly what you're talking about. And what I try and do with those examples is uh, say, look, most people think of anti-Semitism in a very direct way. They think of the Nazis, basically, and or, or neo-Nazis or whoever, people who hate Jews, want to kill Jews, and it's a very active, direct form of hatred. And, and liberals are, without doubt, still would condemn that and would think it was bad. Uh, but the book is not about that, partly because I don't think that needs much deconstruction. OK, I don't think, you know, people who hate Jews and want to kill Jews that their utterances don't need to be deconstructed or thought about much. They just need to be resisted. What I'm talking about is something much more elusive than that, which is a series of absences, a series of lack of concerns, of uh, being dismissive or not as worried about instances of offence towards Jews, which I believe, and that's the point of the polemic, if those instances were about other minorities, the same people would be up in arms about it. And so it's more about what's missing, it's what's not being said, what's not being applied to Jews, uh, some kind of safety or concern or protectiveness, which uh, progressive people would normally apply, that is not happening to Jews. Um, and you, you mentioned this list of examples, and it, it, the book begins very powerfully with, with, with several instances. I wonder if, um, just for our listeners, you could give us one of these examples to, to kind of spell out what you're saying. Well, I could give you, the, in a way, one of the most obvious example is one which has been for me knocking about quite a long time and may not be the right example in a way because uh, there are other issues involved with it but I'm still going to use it for, for now which is I um, go to Chelsea uh, football club or I used to when, before the pandemic I'm a season ticket holder at Chelsea and for years and years and years whenever Tottenham Hotspur or indeed anything related to Tottenham Hotspur they didn't even need to be playing but their score might come up on the scoreboard or something like that. Uh, a number, a, a huge number, I mean, 20,000 people possibly of the 40,000 in the ground would chant the word Yiddo uh, venomously at the scoreboard, at the Tottenham player, at the ex-Tottenham player, whatever, with associated anti-Semitic abuse, hissing to represent gas chambers and songs about Auschwitz, whatever. And this continued, I've been going to Chelsea a long time, over which period, and in a way this is central to the book because the book is really about the way that attitudes have changed but perhaps not so much for Jews. Over the period of time that I was going to Chelsea, I noticed that, correctly, all the notices appeared in the programme about racist abuse. And you get suddenly kicked, racism out of football existed. And, and as we see now, you know, there's a, a vast machinery and very respectful machinery to try and stop racism happening at football matches. And yet when in, I think it was 2010, a bloke behind me and my brother just started shouting, fuck the Yids, fuck the fucking Yids, and then fuck the Jews, fuck the fucking Jews, coming out of an enormous crowd-based chance of Yido, 
nothing was done. And none of the uh, stewards who were, you know, ordered to remove people and remove them for life for racist abuse did anything. And eventually me and my brother decided, and this is after years and years of this happening, to try and create a film called The Y Word. It's very deliberately called The Y Word because even though I have said the word yid, I am interested in why the word yid is somehow more sayable uh, than the N word or the P word. And create this film called The Y Word. It was very difficult to get it made, very difficult to get support for it. Um, and it created a lot of controversy in a way that trying to drum up consciousness raising about hate speech at football would not be for any other group. So that's probably still remains my primary example. And then, and then uh, you ended up having a small run in with David Cameron on the back of that, I believe. Well, yeah. Well, I've had a run in about, like, there's a guy, there's someone I don't, I don't give the name of, and I'm not going to give the name of on this podcast because he's a very close friend of mine, uh, but who said to me, because the film explicitly tries to draw a comparison between the Y word and the N word and says why, you know, it has, in fact, Ledley King, uh, the footballer who used to play for Spurs, the black footballer, saying there was a word beginning with N that used to be shouted at me at football matches, not anymore. But this friend of mine said, well, you know, the Y word isn't as bad as the N word. And I said, why not? And he said, because Jews are rich. And I just thought, wow, I mean, that's unbelievable. That, that he's is, still a friend. <laughs> he's still a friend. And, and to be honest with you, I was sort of grateful to him for him still, you know, for him bringing out so clearly what really lies behind a lot of the progressive suspicion around extending this concern to Jews, which is that, oh, aren't Jews basically powerful and privileged and rich and you know do they really need this kind of thing is that's what he was really saying just to tell you the David Cameron story because it is a good story um while this was all going on and there was a lot of it in the papers and it created quite a lot of fuss and whatever David Cameron was I think just stopped during some press conference and asked what he thought about it by the Jewish Chronicle I believe and he just said oh I think it's all right for Spurs fans to call themselves Yids even that, you can see yourself, the way he like, kind of didn't really think about it, used the word, used a hate speech word. A word you know, he'd never even allow the other words for other minorities to pass his lips in an interview. But meanwhile, I then bumped into him about a year later at The Agenda, which was an ITV discussion programme that I think is no longer on, but Tom Bradbury used to host. Uh, and he came straight up to me and said, um, is the Yid thing going to come up? <laughs> okay, it's amazing, really. <laughs> I'm, you know, I am, after all, Jewish. And again, if you project that uh, onto a member of another minority and him coming up and saying that, it's just un, you know, unconscionable. Yeah, those, those words, the yid thing. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah it's you, it's yid, and I said, I don't know. And he just said, well, if it does, I've had a word with Lord Feldman, who is one of his advisors, who's Jewish. And he says, Badil's right about this. So he was sort of doing a preemptive, you know, if this comes up, just to be clear, you know, I'm going to give in to you, so don't have a go at me. But I was more interested in, as I say, the fact that he was totally fine to just come up to me, a Jewish person, use a hate word for Jews and, you know, just to sort of clear the political space in advance of this programme. Um, the, 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 the because Jews are rich comment is obviously awful in, in many ways. Um, it, it also plays into a lot of what you're talking about, about the reasons behind um, the anti-Semitism you're talking about. And it's about this, this perception of Jews... Um, uh, as both high and low status, um, you know, so they're kind of simultaneously deemed to be rich and powerful and string pulling and also um, other and, uh, you know, in the, in the most extreme circumstances, dirty and, you know, 
um, you know, sort of somehow below the normal standard of humanity. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and how that's fed into the issues you're discussing in the, in the book. That is also key to the far right. It's a, it's a type of thinking about Jews that isn't just to do with progressives, but I think it completely seeps into the way progressives think about Jews. And it's a kind of fairly unique, although I'm perfectly happy to hear from another minority who feels it applies to them as well, but a fairly unique, I think, double status, high and low, that applies to Jews via the eyes of racists. So that is to say that Jews can very easily be called by racists all the low status things that, that they apply to all minorities, dirty, thieving, stinking, vile, the, the whole animalistic untermention thing. But Jews have a pretty unique thing, which is that in the same breath, those same people will say that Jews are in control of the world that Jews are pulling the strings behind, you know, politics and money and all the rest of it. And the Nazis themselves would obviously picture Jews both as, uh, you know, sort of vile, semi-human things and as moneyed capitalists striding the globe carrying money bags. Um, I mean, the joining thing was that Jew would always be ugly and kind of alien. Um, but my point in terms of the book is that I think there is... And this is a very complicated thing to do with the aesthetic in which evil is actually, you know, visualised in our culture. Uh, and I think it applies in all sorts of ways in Punch and Judy and in Bond villains and all sorts of ways, witches. It, it, you know, that uh, the idea of the Jew, that there spills over from that for people who are concerned about essentially capitalism, that there is a way of picturing the fat cat capitalist which spills over to a very ancient aesthetic about the way Jews are pictured. So, you know, to go into, say, that mural that Jeremy Corbyn uh, got into issues with some years ago, that mural was painted by somebody who would very much think of themselves as a progressive, and yet it saw no problem in picturing those people who were playing Monopoly on the backs of the world in a very Jewish way. Indeed, two of them were actually Jewish, Wahlberg and Rothschild. And so the problem is that aesthetic of the ugly, uh, overbearing, powerful, Jewish fat cat applies for the right and I think for some members of the left. And I think it, it seeps into people's subconscious who, who aren't even particularly far left, to be honest. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's a difference between facing that kind of racism, whether, whether it's, you know, the characterization of, of the high or low status Jew and the discomfort and in many cases fear that that may bring and facing the kind of structural inequality as progressives would, would characterize it that, that kind of stops you getting on in life. And this is where I want to come on to the kind of the BAME question, black and minority ethnic, because you're very keen that Jews should be included under that banner. Uh, and considered as not white, um, and you come to define white later. We can we can discuss that. I'm actually quite uncomfortable with with a, with this idea. Um, I'm I'm quite interested in my discomfort. Um, there's there's so much I agree with about your argument, but I think for me, having grown up in a relatively affluent North London Jewish suburb where I didn't face many barriers to opportunity, and certainly for me anyway, and the people I know, not on account of being Jewish, it made me feel that I personally shouldn't be included under BAME, given what that stands for. And it, it, this may be a problem with that BAME label, which most, you know, no one really likes. It's, it's, it's awkward and it's difficult. But I just wondered if you could respond to that slightly. Well, because I, I, yeah. I'm not saying, and the book is not saying, that uh, there is no difference between the racism, you know, I've already said there's a different type of racism applied to Jews, uh, and the racism that is applied to people of colour or uh, any other minority group that I'm talking about. There, there are differences. Um, but I think it's very, very dangerous to allow those differences to exclude Jews from identification as an actual minority. Um, and that's, to some extent, what you're saying. Uh, because if you think, uh, oh, well, Jews are kind of OK, and I was kind of OK growing up, so we shouldn't really be considered an ethnic minority at all, really, with any of the protections that, ethnic, that being recognised as an ethnic minority implies, then A, there's a very, very fragile part of history that you're talking about, by the way, which is maybe since about 19, well, since 1945, maybe, but I would say longer than, you know, since about 1960, I would say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, my, yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, I quote a Guardian journalist who talks exactly as you do, to some extent, saying that Jews do not suffer aspects of material dispossession. Now, I then go on to show that Hindus, for example, there are more, in terms of ethnic minorities, there are more Hindus who are millionaires across the world, many more than Jews. Now, it might, might partly be because there are more Hindus or whatever, but there are lots of rich other ethnic minorities. They do not get excluded. No, they don't. And I, I suppose my reaction to that is, um, accorded minority status, definitely. Accorded, you know, require protection, definitely. Need to benefit from positive discrimination in terms of representation. I, that's that. That's where I. That's where I, I kind of say stumble. that in in the book. Actually, I don't say that Jews. I say that Jews don't get that. I don't yeah. say that they should necessarily. Um, I suppose it comes back to the BAME thing. Is, then it's more about recognition in a way. Yeah, because I point out that people will say that Sajid Javid is the first BME Chancellor of the Exchequer. Right now, he's not because Nigel Lawson was Jewish. 
Now, that, that, that's nothing to do with positive discrimination. That's more to do with me as a Jew wanting our identity to be recognised as something that matters and that counts socially. Completely. And, and so therefore, I mean, I suppose that, I, I don't know if that's perhaps not clear in the book, it should be clear. I am not calling for more positive discrimination for Jews. I'm saying that that it doesn't exist and that's a thing. And I, but I'm not particularly calling for it. Just look, I'm not calling for, for example, there's quite a long section about the casting of non-Jews as Jews. And I try and make this really clear, but I'm not saying as Russell T Davis has said recently about gay people that he thinks only gay actors should play gays. I'm not saying that Jews should only play Jews. Definitely not. What I am saying is there's virtually no conversation about that. Yeah, yeah. And that's my point really about BAME, right? There's no conversation about the fact that Jews are an ethnic minority. So why aren't they included in BAME? And there should be. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me then. Then I, then I, then I think we do agree. Um, and I suppose, coming back to it, I suppose, I think there is a problem with the BAME label generally, which is which is a kind of tangential matter to, to, to this question. Um, that that casting thing is interesting. Um, and I, I, I thought it's maybe worth drawing one of the examples that you, you bring up in your book. And it's about, um, it's about Ben Kingsley. Um, I just wanted to quickly say a little bit about that, because I think, it, I think it, yeah, it'll be re- relevant to listeners. Uh, well, the example I use, I've got this right. Um, I'm talking really about, I mean, the the casting thing I try and complexify because it's a complex issue that isn't just to do with, I think, the fact that Jews are, you know, a minority who no one really worries about if they're played by actors of other minorities. I also go into the issue of what is Jew face, really? What What does it mean that when Jews are played very Jewishly, which they often are, that that is a kind of stereotype? that tends to be done it's not really the face but it tends to be a whole sort of you know mannerisms and sort of often in the, as in the case of Al Pacino in Hunters involve a lot of ticks, a lot of what are recognized as sort of very Hebraic ways of being and my contention is that you know this is possibly a form of minstrelsy uh, but I think with Ben Kingsley it's an interesting thing with Ben Kingsley because I think he sort of disavows his Jewish heritage I think he was I think he does have some Jewish heritage but disavows it uh, but that my point is that this extends not just in I think I, the one I bring up to begin with is a musical but it, but it extends to the very heart the most sort of um, serious for want of a better word examples of Jewish representation so in Schindler's List Ben Kingsley is playing Oscar Schindler's kind of right-hand Jew for want of a better word um, and he you know he's someone who disavows his Jewish heritage and isn't Jewish really as a result of that and that's not an issue but meanwhile when he played Gandhi uh, and Kingsley obviously does have Indian heritage uh, that is now seems problematic because he uh, darkened his skin in order to look darker for Gandhi. So again, you know, in all of this, I'm not saying that isn't an issue. Uh, I'm not trying to dismiss that as an issue. I'm interested in the lack of conversation about Kingsley playing Oscar Schindler's right-hand Jew and no one worrying about the fact that this is a person who disavows his Jewish heritage. Do do you feel like you're fighting this battle to a certain extent alone? Because, I mean, one of the brilliant things about this book to me was that it presents arguments that I sort of half thought about before, but I, you know, I do agree with you about pretty much everything. And and I, but it's not something that I come across a lot, this kind of, this pointing out of these holes. And I just wonder whether you feel like, A, whether 
you know, there are others fighting this battle alongside you. And B, whether you think the tide's turning a little bit? Um, well, I certainly do feel I've been I've been fighting it for quite some time <laughs> on my own and then other people joined in a bit. So I was talking about anti-Semitism, what I would call progressive anti-Semitism. I tend to avoid the phrase anti-Semitism on the left because I think it extends far beyond the political space of uh, what are people consider to be the traditional left. Uh, but I've been talking about progressive anti-Semitism I think I wrote an article for the Sun for the Daily Telegraph about what I called then the fashionability of anti-Semitism in 2010. So well before Corbyn, uh, and I and, it, and I was on social media. I was talking about it and getting much trolling about it and whatever. I mean, long before. Uh, I mean, not that you know this makes me that's rather sort of blowing my own trumpet, but it's true. Uh, long before many more people kind of started talking about it. But one thing about the book is. It is a critique of progressives, which is a complicated thing anyway, because I would see myself as a progressive. Uh, and I'm sure the progressives who it's going to piss off will you know, see it as divisive. And I'm sure I'm going to get all that. But it is also a critique of Jews. Um, quite a lot. Quite a lot of it talks about what I perceive to be shame on the part of Jews um, about sort of being Jewish. Uh, and maybe specifically, not just specifically, but British Jews. The book mentions at one point a joke, uh, which is that someone once said to me that the headline in the Jewish Chronicle uh, every week uh, is essentially they hate us. And I said, no, it's not. It's not. It's they hate us. And let's not make a fuss about it <laughs> because Jews, British Jews are both Jewish and British, which means they're kind of reserved and don't like to make a fuss. And therefore, it always felt to me and still feels to me like uh, kicking up too much calling out stuff too much. And I use that phrase advisedly because that's what happens with other minorities. Uh, but calling out stuff that might be considered to be anti-Semitic, using your lived experience, again, something that is part of that discourse, to say, I'm not very comfortable with this, is something which Jews still don't do that much. I, I totally agree with that. And I, and I think you're, you're right that it is very difficult, very different in America. Um, and I, I've certainly got American friends who are sort of quite mystified by the, the sort of anti-Semitism that you're, that, that you're pointing out, uh, you know, amongst progressive types. They sort of, it doesn't seem to manifest itself in quite the same way. There's obviously, you know, anti-Semitism in the guise of Israel hatred and various other forms of it in the States. But I, I do agree that it's a sort of, a, it seems to be a particularly British phenomenon, this thing that you're talking about. I think in America, and I, I mean, this is me, I'm sorry, out of my comfort zone here, but I think in America, even though a lot of it is about Israel here, in America, it really seems to be about Israel, as far as I can remember. It really seems to be the Democratic Party and, you know, schisms that they, they might be having about Israel. Although, interestingly, that example I use early on, which actually I only put in the book late, late on, I kind of forgot about it. But I think it's actually one of the most extreme examples where Justin Webb of the Today programme actually said, I use this in, the, in, as you said, in these examples at the start, Justin Webb was talking to a, an American pollster uh, before I think the 2016 election. And he was mentioning these problems in the Democratic Party uh, over Israel. And Justin Webb just says kind of out loud, <laughs> might one idea be for the Democratic Party to kind of officially state that anti-Semitism is a less important racism than others, uh, you know, that it's still bad, but it's sort of not as important as others. And he just says this. And to be fair to Justin Webb, 
he phoned me after I, I pointed out, oh, this is an example of what you've just said, me feeling I'm fighting a lone battle. I was the only one who seemed to notice it. I put it on Twitter and said, is this okay? Blah, blah, blah. And then Justin Webb actually called me and said, no, 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 I was just trying to illustrate what I feel is a way of thinking in the Democratic Party, although he didn't put it like that, but that's fine. But my point is still, you know, that seems to be in the air. You know, it's just in the air and someone can say it and there isn't an enormous online backlash to a type of very, very, very dangerous racism that historically has you know, killed an enormous amount of people uh, being described as a less important racism. Um, there is so much more I would like to discuss with you about this. I'd particularly like to revisit the idea of shame and Jewish shame at some point because um, well, I just find it fascinating. Um, unfortunately, it is we've got time for on this podcast, although I am delighted to say that David and I will be picking up on this at Jewish Book Week on Saturday, the March the 6th. So perhaps we can discuss that bit there. But that's, that is all we've got time for. Um, thank you very much for coming on, David. Thank you, Toby. It's been a pleasure. It's been really, really interesting. Um, And I should just remind all listeners that David's brilliant book, Jews Don't Count, is published on February the 4th by TLS Books at the bargain price of £9.99. So I hope you'll grab a copy. with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, a weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, Anne Summers CEO Jacqueline Gold talks candidly about her parents' divorce and how she coped with a shocking period of childhood sexual abuse. They say the best form of revenge is success, and I believe that. It was just turning something negative into a positive. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, Jacqueline Gold, in her own words. Now available as a podcast. Listen on the Times Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.